0: You're listening to inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum, hey folks, Rob Hollis is here, and so is Michael Rosenbaum. how are you? I'm good are you yeah How's calvin to, calvin's grades
1: he's two and a half you
0: know Natalie's good. she likes Natalie's you working good. so much you're working a lot. she loves me working so much. I mean look how much your career's taken off in the last two years? all thanks to you well, you know it's it's not that it's your talent and you're a personable guy and you know, all I could do is like, go, hey, here's Rob. He's really talented and you have to come through. And you did. Now you work with Dax. You work with a lot of other people. People just, uh, they want to be around you. So I always get to have the nightmare that you're going to leave me one day. Hopefully that day doesn't come. I don't know why it would. We just have to get more listeners, don't we? You just need to move closer to me. Well, I, I think that the show, I honestly, I'm saying this. I mean, I've, I could say this about some of my work, not a, a lot of my work. Not Well, I, I would just say that like I, I've been really good in things and I've also done things that aren't great. That aren't good, and I would say that like this is what? something that I really love doing. I love talking to people and getting inside of them, and I really believe that when people listen to the show, and they have a friend listen, they the feedback is always like, "I wasn't expecting that." Uh, I'm, I'm addicted. I have friends, colleagues who listen to the podcast, and um, I don't know. It means a lot, and because I really love it, and I want to be good at you know at certain things, and this is something that. I have fallen in love with it. So I thank you for getting me to do a podcast because, you know, um, I know we don't get as many listeners as a lot of some, some of the big podcasts, but we get more than some of the podcasts. Should we kiss now? We should kiss. But guys, do us a favor. If you really like the show and you like listening to it and you're not a one and done – Subscribe and 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 get your friends and your your family and everybody to subscribe. Grandparents also in August. I'll be in uh, Toronto and Boston at a comic con with uh, Kristen Kruick. We'll be at one of them, Toronto, and then Tom Welling both. Um, so check that out. And you guys um, heard of Tom Welling? And also the band Left on Laurel, my band, the album. Should be out relatively soon, so be looking for that. And um, we appreciate your downloads, and that, that should be coming out. So anyway, let's get inside of someone who I adore, love, been in her house many times. We've partied with Carrie Fisher, and Beverly D'Angelo, is, uh, she's an icon. She's beautiful inside out. She has a heart of gold. Uh, we talk about her relationship with Al Pacino, and boy, does she talk about it. And we talk about her days on uh, vacation Uh, The vacation movies But really we talk about her life And like being a hippie And And free love She's a gentle lover Yeah, and she loves sex And she, you know, she she talked about it (laughs) And she was really open So I appreciate her I appreciate uh, Beverly D'Angelo Let's get inside Beverly D'Angelo It's my point of view You're listening to Inside of You With Michael Rosenbaum Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience.
1: It's a Judd Apatow film. Now, one thing that was interesting was that I knew of Gary Shandling... In another way, besides meeting him at Carrie's all the time, I'll tell you right. a funny story. Because we had the same acting teacher, and he he loved Roy London, and in fact, the Larry Sanders show had like you know, and special thanks to or London. dedicated to Roy, London. and that was kind of left out. I mean, like they, they they did touch on the fact that he was into acting and he had a, was talked about acting and stuff, but they really didn't get into the Roy London thing. Um, but here's what's funny. So I, you know. I met him at Carrie's house, and um, he was around a lot. And and he did seem to Carrie have Fisher, yes. Right. And and he did seem to have that habit of like meeting people, and then they'd like turn up on his show right. on the Larry Sanders show, right? So, uh, so you talked to him, you knew him all, all the time, yeah. And so, so anyway, he said, "No, you should be on the show," and I said. Um, yeah but what would i do and he goes you could be like someone who's always trying to get on the show and i don't want her to be on the show and like you know you're always bugging me and kind of stalking me and you know everybody knows they have to get rid of you and stuff And i'm thinking that's like the shittiest role <laughs> i do not want to play
0: <laughs> but you just nodded like yeah, yeah,
1: yeah fucking right yeah, yeah
0: so the documentary on yeah. gary shandling directed Doctor by apatow is good
1: yeah, it, it I mean here's what's good about it. What's good about it besides the fact that it's it's really honestly it's a Judd Apatow movie, you know. It's like it's clear and heartfelt and simple and funny and meaningful and right. but the thing that's cool is what he illuminates is that Gary Shandling, you know, had a great success. I mean, this is just from someone who doesn't know him, right? Didn't yeah, not know him intimately. But if you break it down, you know, when he got the, the uh proceeds from climbing the mountaintop, he uh went on a path of of enlightenment and he meditated and he he he, it's called the Zen Diaries of 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 Gary Shanling and he, you know, was really into getting to that next step of enlightenment the next level. Forgiveness and understanding what life is about. And one of the guests there was saying, You know, I don't know, this looks like rich people's problems, like, you know, I mean, I'd love to go and contemplate my neighbor, but you know, I'm sure a lot of people would, but you know, they gotta work the next shift at the diner. You know, right? And I said, "Well, yeah, but think of how many people achieve like great financial security or uh, artistic fulfillment, and they spend that free time that they've made for themselves, like." spiraling into drug addiction and what's
0: the what's you know the, the more i've been doing this too and i and of course yes people out there listening they're like god meditation and it's like a, come on who does this who has time for this it's like a you know all these actors in hollywood but what i found is it doesn't matter if you're rich or you're poor or where you come from we all have certain upbringings mm-hmm. you know like with my you know, my relationships with certain family members, things mm-hmm. that happened to me as a kid that I didn't quite get over. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you could just say, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm cool and I can go ahead and have fun and, and just disregard all those things and forget about all those things. Or I could sort of attack them face on and just say, hey, how do I just become a better person?
1: Well, you know, I mean, really, I think that's what it comes down to. It's uh, to me. That's what life is, you know. Finding yourself, that, evolving. That, that, that it's yeah, and it's all about relationships and and fulfilling and purpose and, fu- and and purpose and and really, you know, it could really just be as simple as the purpose is just to help others. It could be that simple. I mean, I like to imbue it with all kinds of. I've got to fulfill my gifts. So there's a purpose. So I've got to entertain people. But you know, it can't just be helping mm-hmm. others. But there's this thing they say about men. You know, that like at the age of 50, how old are you I'm now, I'm getting Michael? there,
0: Bev. 46. Okay, I'll be here, 46. Okay, so I think you're going to make it because... By the way, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you, Beverly D'Angelo.
1: Yeah, okay. Continue, please. Sorry, Sorry for interrupting. Speaking. So, um, <laughs> but no, what they say is, that, the famous say, is that like when, when a man turns 50, he either starts on a path to become like the greatest guy in the world or an asshole. Like you kind of have a choice. I think like 50 is like a, a turning point in a man's life because by 50, you've kind of, you've got the lay of the land. You know what I mean? You kind of know what's working for you. You know what, what's not going to work for you and you know what you want. And that's like, that's like, I mean, they, you know, they used to call it like midlife crisis or something, but really it's like, and I mean, this is all in the context of watching that, that documentary that he was a guy who when I don't know what age he was. Well, he was 66 when he died. He was young. But here was someone who came to a certain crossroads and, and, you know, made the choice to, like, figure out, you know... What, have you figured what, it out? What, what,
0: me? Yeah. Are you... Have, no. Have you I... look back at young Bev when she was just starting out? Oh, yeah. Like, do you think there's a, 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 a substantial evolution to Beverly D'Angelo?
1: It's more like a devolution. De-
0: devolution. <laughs> De- devolution.
1: It's more like how how many things did I fuck up? Did you really fuck Just a how lot? much did up? I blow? <laughs> um, uh, no. I, well, I mean, look, I've had opportunities. I've taken like maybe three, five, 10% of the opportunities that are presented. Why is that? that. Because I think I was, uh, I, I think my whole thing has always been, you know, looking for love and, and all that. And my choices in life early on had to do with being a singer and I was driven by talent. And then once I, I kind of like peaked when I was 18, you know, I, my goal was to be in a rock band and I was like in the hottest rock band. And I was like, okay. Okay. I did that. Just all these doors kept opening, but what I was really looking for was, um, a family, a life. I was somebody who left home really, really Did you really have a good early. family? Well, when it comes down to it, yeah. I, I mean, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio until I was a teenager. So I was the beneficiary of those four square solid kind of values of honesty is the best policy Honest people are good people, good people get ahead, bad people get punished. Who
0: taught you these values, your parents? It was
1: kind of inherent in the in the Midwest. I always lived in a very hom- homogeneous Community. Well, I grew up like, in
0: Indiana, so. I yeah, you know like what I mean. It's like Indiana.
1: if you went over to somebody's house, their mother would say the same things were right and wrong that your mother would. My
0: mother said all the wrong things. She was a monster, and uh, I, oh, was I love her. But but I, I used to go to other people's houses because I wanted more of that family feel. And the mothers from other families, my friends' parents, used. To, I, I felt like they were – I was Yeah, I to that. remember I asking Dottie
1: Milligan if she'd be my mom once. My mother and father. I did grow up. I'll tell you one thing. I did grow up witnessing an incredible uh, romance. I was the product of, a, of an amazing love affair. Your mother and father. Yeah, and so I think in a lot of ways I've always been like looking to have hopeless that kind romantics. Of, and- well, looking to have a life that that was that was imbued and founded on just love. You know, really. I so mean, I was, I was designed to be a flower child. My grandmother on my father's side was what's called a letter bride. So when she was 15 and starving in Italy, her mother sent pictures of her to the Italians that had come to America at the turn of the century to work on the railroads and do that kind of stuff. Uh, to like, you know, it's called a letter bride. And so you'd trade him in marriage. And my grandmother wanted to come to America. So she married my grandfather, who would come over as a glassblower, but couldn't get work on that, work, a foundry all his life. So that was an arranged marriage. On my mother's side, you know, upper middle class wasp, Smith, like Smith is in land on the Mayflower kind of Smith. And her mother had died when, when my mom was five. They didn't even tell her. They were so Victorian. That that they thought you know children would suffer too much. So but when she, she was went about, on a vacation. So she, yeah she's gone, and when she was about twelve or thirteen, somebody broke it to her like, hey, she's dead. Your mom's not coming home. Jesus. So I'm illustrating that that the concept of love was not was kind of foreign from both of these factions. Right. My mom went to Smith College on a four year violin scholarship, full scholarship playing the violin. Got out of Smith. And she ran away to uh, Sarasota and joined the circus.
0: My God.
1: Yeah. And her stepsister, because her father then subsequently did remade, He was very cool. He designed the first collegiate football stadium at OSU, the collegiate. Oh, yeah. And Howard Dwight Smith, cool guy. I, State, I, the I, whole I, hardly shoe. Knew, I hardly knew him, and you'll find out why. Anyway, but her stepsister, Sybil Groot, who'd been a rockette, who decided to become a psychologist, there was a new thing in 1949 called shock treatments, so they hauled my mom back, gave her shock treatments. She, got a, she did six weeks of shock treatments, went to the local swimming pool. My dad, in the meantime, had been on the road at the tail end of the big band era, starting at 16, which was the Tony Pastor Orchestra. Rose- Both musicians. Ro- Rosemary Clooney was the singer with her sister Good Betty. Oh God. Anyway, he's back in town in Columbus, Goes to the swimming pool that in, in Upper Arlington. No, Lower Arlington. Right. Arlington. He says my mother had on a gold bathing suit. She said it was silver. He walked up to her, and he's like, you know, first-generation Italian. He's what they called, you know, in those days, the, like the worst word you could say was WAP. I can say it because I'm Italian, but yeah, I can. it means without passport. But anyway, so he's, you know, OAT. Guy, you know, Zeus I thought it was Zeus. without papers, and it, same well, similar with, similar. anyway. Um, uh, so he or, or guapo, which means beautiful or and dark, but anyway, uh, he walked up to her and he said, Uh, you seen anybody? And she went, Oh, yeah, a couple of people. And she's just gotten out of the mental hospital, and I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, right. And um, Darvisa, and he has no idea what her background is. And he says, Uh, well, uh, get rid of him because I'm gonna call you. What's your name? She said, Priscilla Smith. So he spent like two weeks, because Smith, there were a million Smiths, right? Calls her up. It's been two weeks. And she says, I got rid of everybody. Like, what happened to you? That was in August. All I know is this. By December, that was August of 1949. By December uh, 19th of, of 1949, they eloped. And my brother was born in May. So if you do the math, I think uh, it happened, like, right away. Right away. And uh, she got disowned there for a while. You know those pictures on my stairway, those sketches? Yeah. That's all I have of my grandpa. Really? Yeah, that was a notebook that was, like, thrown away. Like, no, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. Yeah, like, no, silver, no, no. But anyway, so uh, the point that I'm trying to make is is when you said, you know, where did you get those values and stuff like that, I grew up with... A mother who was five years older than my father at a time when that didn't happen. That's what my mother is. Who had been disowned for marrying this uneducated, first-generation Italian musician, kind of got him together. He became a very successful broadcasting executive in his time. And... um, you know, it was all love and, and, and because they, love, and that's all they had. Were they always with affectionate other.
0: with each other? Were they always kissing yeah, yeah, and always yeah, hugging yeah, and yeah, holding yeah. hands? Always, 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 always. And so you looked at that and that was one of the really good things. I looked
1: at that and I thought that's, that's a good thing. But by the time I was 14, I was kind of out of there because part of the good thing that I saw involved like, you know, losing my virginity.
0: You lost your virginity at 14. Oh yeah.
1: great. Really? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember his name? Of course. No. No. Well,
0: I don't. Yeah, I do, but I was eighteen. Yeah,
1: no, it was a train conductor. What was his name? His name was Grady Poe. Grady Poe. Grady Poe. Give me some mo. Grady Poe was the older brother of my best friend Jenny, and uh, Grady Poe was a senior when I was a sophomore. We were going to get married, and I think my, I think that's why I got sent to Italy, because what happened was we were like I mean like he he had a he had a triumph. And we'd like, you know, get on that bike and after school and hit the cornfields and just fuck you. were in love. Much, totally in love. He
0: gave me his class ring and everything like Did that. Did people wear condoms back then? What? Not that you're old, but I'm just saying that were condoms you used a lot back then? I remember
1: when I lost my virginity, I used three types of birth control.
0: You were on three types of birth control? I, I used three types of what birth control. What
1: were those? Uh, foam, condom, and uh, pulling out. Some prom night. But anyway, my parents kind of got wind of this somehow. And the next thing you know, I got shipped off to Italy. Are you
0: crying and now you resent them and fuck you, I'm in love. I'm...
1: Uh, well, no, it didn't happen like that. I went to Italy and I saw the world. And suddenly it's mm. like, ooh, up Burlington kind of a small town. This you is, fell in love with it. This is cool. There's How long a were you there? Big world. Well, I was there for my first summer when I was 14. And then I went back there and went to school there. I went to, then I was in, then I wanted to be a citizen of the world. And you're playing
0: music at this time.
1: No, no. No. I I was uh, studying art. Everybody in my family was so musical that I didn't want to, it's like, don't touch that. So
0: I could be the quiet girl who sketched. So you drew and you were an artist. Yes. Can you still draw like pictures and look?
1: I came here to work for Hanna-Barbera. Right. I was always kind of lousy, I thought. But you know, I had the background for it, and so I, I, so then I, when I was fifteen, I went back and went to the American School in Florence, and then I just, I said to my parents, "I'm not coming back. I don't want to go to my senior year. I just want to stay here." They didn't freak out enough to come and get me, but they did make arrangements for me to get back home, and it was just kind of a long, slow parade. But I sent, but, but as I said, my dad had in the meantime become this broadcasting executive. And the company that he was the vice president of Tap Broadcasting bought Hanna-Barbera. So I sent my portfolio from the American school in Florence where I studied art to Hanna-Barbera and got a job. So two days after I got How graduated, old were you? 17. I got out of school early.
0: And you're going to California?
1: Going to California two days after I got out of school, dropped some acid. And I remember- <laughs> Where did I, that come
0: I, I, from? Uh, Well, you know,
1: uh, I think it came from Ricky Jones. I don't know. (laughs) But um, anyway, dropped some acid. And I just remember tripping and looking in my suitcase and saying, I don't need that. I just need this dress with the bells on it. I just need to go. Yeah, I just need to go. And my mom was like, suddenly her eyes became about six feet wide. She said, you lie. You know, and that's not going to work. And it really made an impression on me. I so, said, okay, okay, check that box. I got to be honest. Then she looked at my suitcase. She said, what are you doing? She was crying. It was all very tragic. But anyway, I got out here and it was promised land. Summer of 69. I'm 17. Cute as a button. Oh, yeah. More talented than you can believe. And then I found out I could sing.
0: What do you mean more talented than you could possibly imagine? More there talented was, with what? With what? Before you could there sing. It was just... I just had a talent for life, is what
1: I mean, meant. Oh, okay. I just had a talent for life. I could like, I could surf. Everything was fine. You I don't could mean just jump
0: into it. You were yep. quick at everything. Hey, you. Were, oh yeah, I'll that's do right. that. i Had do a do talent this. for life. Had a talent for life. And Hannah Barbaro, how much are they making paying you?
1: Uh, I took well at Disney. They paid a dollar an hour for anchor and painters. Hannah Barbera was one twenty five.
0: And where are you living?
1: uh well, that's interesting too.
0: What did you do, or who did you live with? Did you meet I, some other boy with another? Triumph? Well, that's
1: how I found out I could sing. Uh, Joe McCutcheon, guitar player, was in a band called Of The People. Of course. And they had a commune. It was a political band. We did, They did lots of free concerts at Griffith Park where I'd like, you know, start burning money and stuff. And uh, what happened was they were very politicized. And as I said, summer of 69. And around November, like before I was 18... Joe said, listen, you know, you're attracting a lot of attention.
0: <laughs> just by singing in Griffith Park and doing uh, whatever? Well, I wasn't singing yet.
1: I'm getting to that. But So like, what I'd were you go-
0: getting attention for? Just being hot, sexy? Dancing,
1: and yeah, and just being a very young girl. I was 17, but I looked about 12, and I was up for anything. Anything you wanted to do, I would Fearless. do. Fearless. Fearless. Free love, pot, anything you wanted to do. Okay. Um, Joe said, listen. You're, you're jailbait. You, you really have to go.
0: Inside of You is brought to you by Factor. I love Factor Meals, Ryan. Do you know this? Yes. Why do you know this? Because I've seen them in your fridge and you've offered me some. And you've had them. And I've had them. And you love them. I do. Because I asked you every time. Mm-hmm. Um, Look, I spent an enormous amount of money using delivery services for food or going grocery shopping and never eating the food that I buy or too many leftovers. And it's just, I waste so much money. And you know, Factor meals has really changed my life in a lot of ways because they have so many different meals, like 35 different meals, more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. And it takes just two minutes. So it doesn't matter how busy you are, it's two minutes to cook this stuff. You always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals, and that's what Factor does. Um, I, I, I just can't get over all the things they have, like filet mignon, shrimp, blackened salmon, um, their breakfast items, everything, dessert. It's, it's perfect for my lifestyle, and I think it's perfect for a lot of lifestyles. Um, yeah, you can crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Keep kitchen time to a minimum. Factor Meals are ready in two minutes. No shopping, prepping, cooking, or cleaning up. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. Warm, sunnier days are calling, Michael. Well, yes, they are. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like calorie smart. Protein plus and keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. It's pretty incredible. Head to factor slash inside fifty and use code inside50 to get fifty percent off your first box plus twenty percent off your next month. That's code inside50 at factormeals.com slash inside50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factor Meals. Inside of You is brought to you by Shopify. You know I use Shopify. You guys go on the you know Inside of You online store and you see how easy it is to navigate for you. It's so amazing. Shopify, I can't think of anyone else that would do this Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash inside all lowercase shopify.com slash inside now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash inside
1: and there was a, it was the fall of 69 and my brother was in st louis and there was a moratorium there was going to be a moratorium in washington dc and i wanted to go to that i wanted to protest vietnam so i said okay you know fuck you bye but I knew that I could sing because I had always sung as a kid, but I didn't sing sing because everybody was musician and my brother was musician. Duh, duh, duh. But anyway, now that I'm free of all that kind of stuff, I'm thinking, well, you know what? Joe was this great guitar player. His band was like going to be a big deal until everybody got busted and right. shot and arrested for for know, the people of the people of the people. Sorry. And I'd love to find those people again. But anyway. Um, uh, so you go to. Uh, That's to, uh, a Marxism. For the protest. Dialectic materialism. So I go for the protest. Anyway, but then, you know, what I noticed was that when I did sing, it changed everything around me. Like, people treated me different, and just the vibe was different, and I
0: could sing. Well, you, you had sung to your family, I'm sure. Oh, I yeah. sang,
1: you know, when talent shows up as a kid. But, I mean, as far as, okay, this is going to be my thing, now I'm looking for a band that needs a singer, that started then, as soon as I left. And where are you? Where's the St. Saint- Luke Well, I was kind of floating around. I went to... I had some friends that had, I kind of was in this commune life. And there were communes. There was like a network of communes all over the United States. And I went back to Columbus for all. And Grady Poe, in the meantime, right. had turned in, had not gotten into, uh, he'd been he qualified for F. And he'd gone to Berkeley and become a hippie. Ooh. So now he's got this commune. And there was a guy in the commune who was a draft dodger. And we like, masqueraded him and got him across the border.
0: Wait, so you go back, you're hanging out with Grady? Well Grady and his girlfriend is well. But oh. it's all like
1: and then I started writing songs. They got right. me a piano and I just I wrote a song a day and I just started singing and that's that's where it really started to happen was in this little kind of enclave and then I went to Canada, and then I went to, got pregnant, went to New York. They got a job with a band. It's such a long story. I don't want to. I can't. Well, you got I pregnant? Know.
0: I didn't know you got pregnant. But you eight, didn't have it. Eighteen? No. And that that didn't happen.
1: Didn't happen. I went to New York, which was the only place where it was illegal to get an abortion.
0: And what was that like? Being eight, how old? You're eighteen. I was eighteen. And, and what do you do? You go on is it one of those stories where you go into this? You go down a dark street, go up in this house, and apartment no, building. Not, not or...
1: particularly, because you have to remember that as a teenager, I was very connected in a weird way uh, politically with a, with, with a counterculture. And there was a lot of support in that counterculture, especially for people like me, who were avid to live a new way and participate with a lot of energy in a new life. It wasn't like I was rebelling against something because I wasn't fully formed, but I knew I didn't want to go the direction that that had been laid out for me, you know, as a kid growing up in Columbus, Ohio – and so I was ready, a ta- you know, talent for living. Right. So, Hanover
0: Barrow, that kind of thing's over. That chapter, that chapter's over. And and you're now we're singing now, and went right.
1: And then I'm in Canada. Get knocked up.
0: Uh, take care of it. Went, so to take speak. care of
1: it. New York, and the girl that I went to stay with, it was again connected. There was I can't explain, it, but there was like a connection of 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 there was a counterculture that was connected in Canada and, and it the was United sort of helping States helping you out
0: you belonged you totally. were part of this thing that helped totally. if you weren't it would have been you would have been a lost soul yeah. You don't know where to go. I would have been nowhere all to go. That's you. Right. right.
1: But it was like, oh God, I got to get to Vancouver. Oh, I know, you know, so and so. They live on the, you hey know. Hey, man, Jesse, the, the, Jones, the, lives Je- over, Jesse right. Jones lives on the Wild Owl Mountain. Take care a, of you, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just yeah. fought that kind of thing. Right. So anyway, I'm in New York. There was this band that needed a singer. I go in, I auditioned that night. What was the band? It was called Amazing Grace. For the people, Amazing Grace no, no, of the people, of the people. I wasn't in of the people, but so now I'm in Amazing Grace. But again, young girl, eighteen, and these guys were serious. They were from Juilliard, and you know, they had a band called the Rock and Roll Ensemble from Juilliard. Anyway, they were all great players. I was young, and and we were doing this gig at Bard College, and. The guitar player was wearing tennis shoes and we did it. We were opening for Mike Bloomfield, which was this blues band. They had these gigantic Hanley speakers, which were the same speakers that had been used at Woodstock. Huge. Wow. Outdoor concert on the grass wearing tennis shoes. Grass is wet. Guitar player gets electrocuted. Yours, yeah. He dies. No, he just gets thrown. But it's enough. We weren't making any money oh my anyway, and God. we we had the car that we were driving around and was a hearse that you couldn't turn off because if you turned off the engine, the transmission fluid
0: would leak. So you just kept it on all just night. Just kept it, it on
1: all night. We were just like we'd make money and just like put it into gas so we could drive places to play to make <laughs> paper. Anyway, it was really bad, and I just remember in the morning I had on this black velvet dress and fishnets, and we were driving back to. The city, and we pulled into some diner in the middle of nowhere, and they looked at me like I was, you know, some. That all of us, like we were from outer space. And the piano player looked at me and he said, "You know, you're green on stage and off stage. You, You need to grow up a little bit." Also, his wife, the guitar, the piano player's wife, was insanely. Weird, and decided that I was like competitive. She didn't like competitive her young, with her, she tried girl. to
0: kill herself. It was terrible.
1: It was just it was too so much of a drama. Two
0: bands, even for, of, even the guy from of the people said, "Go, oh, you're too young. You're a jail band. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Out. He kicked I... you out." And this new band, yeah,
1: that's true. I never thought Think about of that. that.
0: And then you're kind of ostracized from this, like you know, yeah,
1: right. I never so thought they kind about of probably got that. a complex.
0: You're 18 years old now, and you're going, "What the fuck?"
1: Well, yeah, but I I knew I could sing.
0: And that was it So you kept going So what was the next step For you as a singer Oh god And you knew then- you wanted To be a singer at that point That's oh, what yeah, I Oh yeah 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 Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I have notebooks full of it. Oh god, it's such a long path. So anyway,
0: yeah, I want to get to how it all really took off because I remember there's a band that you,
1: it, you oh, joined. Okay. I'll, I'll try to make this short, but it's so not short, Michael.
0: But I want to hear about when. How did you meet the guys from the band?
1: Oh, oh, that because i almost there.
0: Yeah, well, then fuck that. Okay, let, that's let good. me do it really fast. Get there. Okay,
1: so kicked out of the band. My friend Patchen Eisberg said, "You know what? There are these people in." San Francisco called the Merry Pranksters. They just got busted. But a couple of them bought some land in Vancouver. We're driving out there. You know, do you want to come? So I go out to this this place uh, in British Columbia. It was Chase, British Columbia. It was a commune. And, and, you know, we had to, like, build a – we never really – Got the house together. We are trying to build an A-frame, but ended up like every time it rained, we'd just get in the car.
0: And are you sending Um, letters and shit talking to your parents, kind of keeping them in touch? Oh, yeah, mom, I'm here. Hippie You you think I was anywhere? I wasn't even living with electricity. What are you talking about? So did you talk to your parents at all? No. You just kind of fucked off.
1: Well, I didn't consider it fucking off. I considered it being self-sufficient. I mean, I, I was literally we didn't have running water or electricity in, in chase oh, we had yeah, a stream yeah, and yeah. i mean was, so winter comes little drastic i figured this is not so great down the mountain there was a guy and his wife and his kids so i i moved in with them kind of took care of the kids and then everybody started moving down from the commune cuz it got cold and we showed this cowboy how to run his farm like communally in a way that he could make a profit which was all great but My part, my contribution was, um, because everybody had to contribute what they could, right? Right. And so I formed a square dance band, because there were lots of writing clubs around, and people could really square dance. And I learned some square dance calls, um, because the wife of the guy whose farm that we moved on to had an old book of... Squares, yeah. First couple out to the couple on the right, three hands around, and mind you, now don't forget to sing that girl, the girl you left behind. All right, yeah. okay. Anyway, so doing that, and uh, it's happening. That was called Bev and the Beulah Land Five, great bluegrass band. And then there was this girl who came passing through, was connected to the Toronto branch of this commune life that. I had been on Connected Through Gatipo. Anyway, long story short, there's a guy in Toronto who wants me to come to Toronto to do the backup vocals on an album he's going to do. What's his name? M. M? Yeah, E-M. So then I did call my mom and I said, hey, can you give me $80? Because I have this job in Toronto. I'm in Vancouver and I want to take back. train across. Yeah, I'll pay you back. And she did went to Western Union, got it. So then I go to Toronto and did that. And Toronto was for me, the promised land. And little did I know that Toronto as the promised land was the same kind of feeling that someone had had when they'd gotten there in 1958. And so I just started, now I'm in full form. I'm doing every backup, you're confident, you're... I'm doing every backup vocal gig in town, I'm going to the union to get jobs, because the musicians union, I joined the musicians union playing percussion, like maracas and tambourines and stuff like that, and because uh, you could go to them and say, I don't have a job, and they'd get you a job. Um, I'd read that, I'd get up in the morning, I'd read the newspaper, I'd apply for the things, and so I... Had this, I was kind of now by this time I was headed in the direction of jazz. I'd kind of like followed an evolution on my own of coming from Columbus, Ohio, sampling country, going through bluegrass, going through rock and roll. Da, da, da. So I'm getting pretty sophisticated now, and my resources are more and more sophisticated. So I'm getting into jazz, right? And the so I got a gig singing at a topless bar called the Zanzibar. Were you topless? No, I was not. I was in between. I wore a long gown. I only had one dress. Oh, I thought you say one breast. Gown. Yeah, one breast. I only yeah. had one breast was on Amazon. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> sorry. But no. So there were on either side of me. There were these women on five gallon oil drums that the tops were cut off, and there was light shooting up. And and every forty minutes, I'd say, "And now, gentlemen, it's swing time," and the girls would get on these trapezes, and it was a raked seating. Yeah. And they'd swing across the heads of these guys eating popcorn. The is <laughs> open from like 2 in the afternoon till 2 in the morning. But the real gig in town to have was with Ronnie Hawkins. Ronnie Hawkins. And Rompin' Ronnie Hawkins was a guy who'd come to Canada with his band from Arkansas. I think originally they were called the Blackhawks, but... Right. He brought Levon up with him from Arkansas. And he thought, oh, my God, this is the promised land. They left him over. There were some disagreements in, within the band. So it was Levon and the Hawks for a while. Then they had some record deals. Uh, they, they, they went to Big Pink. They, they did the thing with Dylan, and they became the band, the band. And that brought... A lot of attention to Ronnie So Ronnie by 1970 Had this big kind of renaissance Ronnie Hawkins Where he got like rediscovered And, and so suddenly like you know You'd look around the audience And Chris Christopherson would be sitting there Dylan would be in And town. you were close with Ronnie
0: Well I sang in his band I mean for for many years
1: I Well I mean I just saw him last August I mean he's a lifelong person I was mad at him for a, a long time Why is that? Well, you know, the blessing and the curse was it was because of Ronnie that I started acting because, as I said, he had this friend And also, he's he's like one of the greats. He's he's an original. He's yeah. one of the guys who invented rockabilly. If he would have stayed in the states, he probably would have been, you know, seen in a different position. But believe me, he chased he changed the, the 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 map of music in Canada. That's for sure. He was he was really good. At at putting bands together and figuring out what was going on. What bands would would I know that he put together? Well, he fired David Foster. Really? He said, you look like a cadaver on stage. It was either that or he was playing too many (laughs) sevenths. Too many chords. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah.
0: So Ronnie Hawkins got you into acting?
1: Well, as I said, most popular guy in show business and everybody who was in town came to pay their respects to... To a roots guy, I mean, it'd be like uh, it wasn't muddy waters, but you know, uh, on the level, I mean, roots people are roots people. Authent- he was authentic, and he is authentic, and right. he had an he had an an eye and an ear for authenticity, and that was perhaps his his greatest gift when he was really at his peak. He's still around and kicking. Right. So what happened was, some very famous people came to Toronto and stayed with Ronnie, and when they left, they left behind a baby bear aspirin bottle of heroin. Mm-hmm. At the same time in 70, 71, you know, 72 around then, um, Toronto, there were like, oh God, I don't know, 50,000, 75,000, 100,000 draft Dodgers. And these were all talented, altruistic, idealistic people, people that spoke my language politically, um, uh, uh, musically, artistically. So it was a real hotbed and also lots of pot. Ronnie got the the most popular pot in town was called Elephant, Elephant Weed. I think it was Tysick or something. I'm not a pot smoker. I never was. But So Ronnie got the brilliant idea to rename the band Elephant. Hmm. So it's like, why not just put like a sign on us for the RCMP? But the way that he worked was you'd do the gig, and then um, when it was finished, you'd rehearse. And then after you'd rehearse, you'd go back to his house in Miss- Mississauga and just party all night. And that was drugs and fucking and stuff like that, you know. Were you a pretty
0: free spirit with that stuff back then?
1: Well, I mean, I came of age, you know, in an era of free love. So, like, my my norm was you feel it,
0: you do it. You felt it? Oh, yeah. So if you, like, it was there a, a regulars or sometimes you just have sex with different people? You didn't care?
1: Well, the- this is when I was saying I was mad at Ronnie for years because... I absolutely was very uh, proactive and autonomous sexually early, young. I I started to get mad at him when I I realized he had really taken advantage of that because um, A, I started doing dope, but B, I'd sing and then during the break, we'd walk amongst them and the audience, you go, look at this gentleman. and Because all the million, everybody loved Ronnie, especially these rich old guys. Right. Like, hey, he's fun, you know. <laughs> and look at this gentleman. Look at this little lady. Your gentleman, look at that chin, just right to set a set of balls on. And he was like using, he's like p- kind of pimping. But I mean, it was all fun. But I, A, I was high. B, I was a kid. And C, where I was coming from, I was coming from in a way like such a wholesome place. Right. I had never encountered the concept of manipulation because I had kind of gone from being a very young teenager, a 15 year old. And truth and honesty going yeah, up into, in your family. That's right. Love that's right. And... Into, you know, peace, love and happiness. Right. So I remembered feeling when I moved to Toronto, well, I'm dealing with commerce now. So anyway, what happened was I got a phone call. I was living with the wrong guy too. This guy was beating me up. I was very nice. I was over my head. And, uh, I, got a call saying, don't, don't come to work tomorrow because Ronnie was arrested. It was the one night I didn't go out to his house after rehearsal.
0: Because you would have been arrested.
1: Yeah, and uh, I wasn't. I didn't go there, but I knew I had to do something, and I had done a radio musical that I'd gotten nominated for an acting award for. My luck, right? Which well, is was like, so great. It was a musical called Hey Marilyn, and I played Marilyn Monroe, and the guy who wrote it had written a musical version of Hamlet, and they were auditioning I, I I stayed in town a little bit and got some gigs wherever I could, but they were auditioning for Ophelia for a tour of this musical. That this And you got movie. it. I got the gig, was on the road with that repertory company for seven months, was summering in Prince Edward Island doing this little show. Loved it? I loved it. It was when I go to my, you know, like how you have to like. Happy place? That's my, my happy place is the Prince back Edward
0: Island in doing Hamlet. Yeah, yeah. Do you still think of that? That's my happy place. Where you just—I'd wake up
1: in the morning, I'd take a shower. I was always a night person because of the you know growing up and singing in bars. But I'd take a cab to the the center, and then I'd walk back home, and I'd lay in the sun. You know, stop at the docks. And and you're nineteen, 19, like, uh, I was mm, I was about twenty by then, 20, twenty-one. I was older than some of the kids in the in the. So what? Coming.
0: What got you back?
1: Well, what happened was I was doing that show and there was this actress named Colleen Dewhurst who had a uh. summer home and she'd done a Broadway show called Moon for the Misbegotten and she was very enchanted by this little musical. And she brought her producer up to see it and they really did that thing. They did like fire everybody with that girl. They brought Gower Champion up who'd done Mame and West Side Story. He was a choreographer and a director. And uh, he did 42nd Street after he did The ill-fated Rockabye Hamlet, but he took me and this guy Rory Dodd who would go on to sing with Meatloaf, but they were so confident about this show that they built the sets into the stage of the Minskoff Theater, held 3,000 people and we had three weeks of previews and then it closed like after a week. So many people have said that they've seen that show, but they didn't. I just got invited. To go back to New York, is they're doing like a concert version of it at Feinstein's Fifty Four, right. where they're going to like you know sing the libretto, and they said you know do you want to come back and sing? And I went, you know I don't even think Maria Callas could like hit the same notes at you know forty two years later, you know. So no, I, I I won't be I won't be doing that, but I'll be glad to write I you. I mean, down.
0: did you ever think that you know? I mean, I'm looking at this life of yours. You're like this young girl, and then you get shipped off to Italy, and you you come back, and you go out to California, Locking, right? Summer of Love, and then you get fun, then you fuck off to St. Louis, and you move to Vancouver, oh, and then yeah. you're going to Toronto, and yeah, you do yeah. these musicals. You're living yeah. on commies. You're doing country music. Well, that's why it's very
1: natural to kind of step into the into I was the still film business because it was because it age. was. But it was it was a lot when the doors kind of the doors didn't really open music you know for for a path as a singer, but they. I, I really took to the film business because of the locations and the change and the kind of the, the family unit. You right. know, like everybody came together and stuff. And so what happened to me was when I did the film of Hair, then I really got pulled into And how old
0: were you when you did Hair? I think I was 23. 23. What kind of experience is that, doing Hair?
1: I was so in love with Milos. It was the fulfillment of everything. Milos That's Freeman. Great.
0: Milos Foreman. I well, said Freeman, I was thinking Morgan Freeman. Morgan
1: Freeman, yeah, Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Freeman yeah, he was great, great director. Great director, director yeah.
0: So, did hair sort of change everything?
1: Well, it it, it put me firmly in the arena of of of, of show of filmmaking. Milish Shorman was, you know, just gotten five Oscars for one Over *Cuckoo's Nest*. Hair was his love project. Uh, it what's was a, a gr- it was a great like, introduction. What's it, it like working with a guy like that? We you know, when I did that musical, I got all the reviews. So like I, the casting, Marion Darty who was, called me in to meet Woody Allen and I got my Screen Actors Andy card. Hall, card right? With just a line and that. So I, I, and I did like a TV thing
0: and, and a little movie called First Love. Did you get caught up in this shit? Did you, it seems to me like you were just kind of like, yeah, I'll do that. Okay, cool. Let's, do, let's just keep going with it. Yeah. You just kind of until, like- until 1981.
1: And then I moved. Then I, then I said, fuck this. And I moved to Italy and that was it. I kind of quit
0: What do you mean you quit? Well I kind of How old are you in 1981?
1: Well I was born in 51 So I was 29 I was born in November of 51
0: So you're 29 years old You've done hair You've done a couple of things And you said I'm tired of it?
1: I did Coal Miner's Daughter I did Paternity Blank, path, I did Hockey Tondry I did, I did Every Which Way But Loose I did uh, well, yeah. Some of my favorites Did you ever see any vacation. of these Rob? Did you ever
0: see any of these Rob? Yeah I've seen some of these
1: Well anyway I, I got my hits in
0: but why, what wouldn't. would make you want to just, I mean, look, I could answer that for me for certain yeah. things, but were you just tired of it at that point? Did you? Well,
1: no, but I, I met a man that I would end up being married to for 15 years, an Italian.
0: And you were always looking for love in all the Looked wrong places love, and you finally Renzo. found it. you're gone.
1: So I went over there and play, I mean, that world was insane. There, I was the first non-noble marriage in that family ever and. I still don't know how many rooms were in that villa in Tuscan. <laughs> I really don't. How long did you live there? Well, I mean, I was like, quote unquote, based there for about four years before I decided to move to Ireland because I fell in love with somebody
0: else. What was that guy's name? Neil Jordan. Neil film, Jordan. Oh, yeah. Filmmaker. Did Neil Jordan do, I know everything there is about the crying, crying game. game. Yeah. Wasn't that Neil Jordan? That was a great movie. Wasn't was Was that- it? It was. Was that around that time? Yes. And what was that love of Fair no,
1: Well, he had just done Mona Lisa. He wasn't really, a, he was more of a novelist when I met him. That was Four Years of Ireland. He wrote a beautiful movie for me called The Miracle. There wasn't that good in though because he'd gotten uh, some woman pregnant. I was freaked out by that. And it was really weird because the, cause the film is, a, and I, I always thought, he's making me do this so I can understand how he feels because it was a beautiful movie called The Miracle that's very typically Neil Jordan in that things are not what they appear to be. And and you it,
0: say you, you didn't like your performance? No. Because your mind was somewhere else. Yeah. You were in love with him? Well, there was this, You,
1: I mean, right before we were supposed to shoot it, I couldn't get a hold of him. I was in town just doing a few days on a John Schlesinger film. Very dear friend of mine who I always worked with whenever he asked me to. And and uh, I had come into town to do that. And I couldn't get a hold of Neil. Neil was a big drinker. There was no such thing as AA in Ireland. Everybody was drunk. <laughs> Everybody was drunk. You could, they were like grocery stores slash pubs where you would go in and get a drink. And they called it Messages. I gotta go pick up my messages. That was like your grocery list. So you hand the grocery list to somebody and you sit there and get drunk while and then they bring you a grocery. Everything was a pub, you know, but the local. But uh, I have a jar.
0: Um You never really got shit canned though, did you? You no, never were I don't like to drink. You were everything in moderation. You were Are, are, it's are you a control weird. freak? Are you a control freak where you don't like to be out of control? Although you did do acid when you I drink.
1: don't like to not feel I don't like to feel bad. So, like, or
0: blackout or forget what you did.
1: Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, who does? Well,
0: a lot of people.
1: No, I mean, I don't like to feel bad. I don't like to feel sick. I don't like to feel.
0: You don't take any pills?
1: I don't take any pills. You don't really take anything? No psych meds, no, nothing. I take a lot of vitamins.
0: Take a lot of vitamins? A lot of supplements. When's the last yeah. time you got high?
1: High, high on what? On marijuana. I don't smoke marijuana. I nothing. never did. On, on on drugs, I mean, high, I, I've had wine. Okay, prob- you
0: get drunk on wine.
1: Well, but I, I don't drink to get drunk, but I mean, you know, we had drinks at my party. Sure. You seem like you're having a good time, but you I didn't seem out of control. Time.
0: You didn't seem you no, did I see a couple glasses. Well, yeah.
1: I, I don't like to get hammered. Yeah, I don't Also, either. I'm a mom.
0: Yeah, you can't do the kids. Uh, I got two kids. They were upstairs uh, playing video games. No, they actually weren't there that night. Oh, no, yeah, they, they were. were there. They were in the room. They, they were, were playing they were on Xbox. Were um, they around? Yeah, they gave me a. Your son gave me sort of a half handshake because he was programmed on the TV. But we've met uh, before. Good yeah, kid. Yeah.
1: Anyway, uh, yes, he's creating a video game right now.
0: Were you fed up with sort of with the uh, with the business? And you got you fell in love. You wanted that to work out. You I knew
1: if by 1981 that there was that no one was ever going to get me in Hollywood.
0: What do you mean no one was ever going to get you in Hollywood? Well,
1: I looked around at the terrain. I still do
0: <laughs> the terrain.
1: I look at the terrain. I look about. I look at who's getting in the club and who's not. And I go, I'm not getting in that club. Club
0: meaning you're not going to fall for these Hollywood antics. These, these well, I mean, okay,
1: like for example, the whole Me Too thing. All right, all right. A, the equation would be non-existent for any man in the world to look at me and say, you know, hey, if you fuck me, I'll let you star in a movie, and I would bite. I mean, that I just go. forget it then
0: yeah and they not, said that not into it no what i'm saying is i radiated that there was i was not the oh you radiated don't you don't have a chance to don't even go there so it never really happened
1: I, what i like to say is if the men that i slept with are responsible for my career boy did i sleep with the wrong guys it, you know what, I mean? what do you mean you have a great career oh michael what are you talking about
0: what are you talking about? Are you serious? See, this is self-deprecation. It's
1: not self deprecation yes, No, no, you're delusional. You, Let delusional? Me ta- no, here, no, here's what a great career is. What's a, a great career? A great career is when you say, you know what? I'd like to do this, and everything lines up to get you
0: to do that. You don't have to, like, fight and push and shove and pull. Sounds to me like... Um, That's a great career. Tell me if I'm wrong, but you know, you're this girl who's kind of trying to figure it out and find love and all these things. You come in this free spirit who finds music and passion and gets to work for Hanna-Barbera for a brief time and then finds we're a play. are
1: a thousand years but ago. But I'm sure then, then all of a sudden you
0: end up doing hair and Patsy playing Patsy. That's Kline in another century. But, but what is it, a career, does a career mean that, oh, you have to do... Life is one
1: thing, a career is another thing. A career as a film actress, no, you could not say that I've had like a spectacular career, absolutely not.
0: Would you say you're a celebrity?
1: i'd say i'm definitely a celebrity i would say that
0: too would you say you're a well-known celebrity at this point i think so because of vacation well vacation american history x you're brilliant american History. how about entourage for years you played a great character how about
1: that's true yeah but but i don't see those as 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 things that that that
0: uh you were nominated for a golden globe for patsy klein Yeah, I I, I I haven't been nominated for a Golden Globe. Look, I'm not here to toot your ego. I'm saying it's obvious to a lot of people, maybe not yours. Look, I think you're insatiable as fuck. I think you always want to be working and doing what you want to be doing.
1: Well, now I do. I mean, I did like when I had the kids and I split up with Al, I kind of went who's going to be the available parent here? So I made a conscious decision and Entourage was totally a gift to have a gig in town, but I mean all the things that I didn't do because i wanted to be an available parent so now my kids are older and i'm like oh okay i can take off and like i'm old man. what's your
0: relationship with your kids fabulous is it fun do you have a good time do you laugh a lot
1: uh yeah sure but i mean you know they're 17 they're juniors in high school so rebellious uh no and i i really wouldn't say that That we're never going to see the kind of rebellion that that I experienced. No, no one will. It won't. But when I see these kids who'd like to to walk out, that really. Was very moving to me, and I thought fantastic. I mean, I, Obama actually tweeted, I think, at one point, you know, saying, yeah. "We've been waiting for you." And I feel like that. I'm, I'm very impressed with this. I, I live in this weird world of like being a, the youngest part of the baby boomers and part of the generation that's called the they're called the founders. You know, they're yeah. they're post they're post Gen X kids so i'm in that world and this other world and it's very weird because i talk to my peers and they don't know like uh, they don't know what digi tour is they don't know what a youtube what you now is they they don't know you know i mean there's so much stuff they didn't know
0: youtube yeah i've heard of youtube did you say youtube YouTube.
1: i said you now you said you now yeah, or you know, well, there's YouTube Red now. But for example, I mean, and the thing is, there's there's not this whole digital platform and the way everybody has podcasts. Blah, blah, blah. That's like, huh? Right. But if I talk to my kids about that, it's like I don't know anything that's
0: going on right. at all. Are they interested in you in terms of the things you've done, the movies you've done? Do they get sort of excited about that or what Al's done? Their well, father, we've always talked
1: term? to them. Kind of, I mean, I saw that it was really important from the get-go that they understand the most important thing is to connect with your your spark, your passion, and that when dad was gone, it wasn't because he had to go away and make money or, you know, I, I thought that was really mundane. So kind of bred into them is this idea that, you know, you do travel and you do have to go away from your loved ones in pursuit of art. Sometimes. You know, sometimes you do. Right. Sometimes you do. So they didn't see me as that person. But as it became, you know, I, I started to talk to them about this need. And I said, you know, I just, I'm going to have to, you know, it, it's like when there's something inside of you and you can't explain it, it's just not going to come out anyway. Yeah, I've got to get it out. I can't, you know. And so they have a unique view of what, what it is to be a to have a creative
0: life they've right. they've
1: been they've been raised in an atmosphere where there's a great deal of value put on the act of creativity and have they seen all your movies
0: in. have they seen the vacations have they seen al's movies did they watch those things or you guys are... well
1: al you know i mean al hasn't made movies for kids but um <laughs> that's true yeah <laughs> but, but, but we have methodically screened his films for them and
0: what do they think love them they love them yeah we have like their a... favorite one
1: at this point, probably Scarface. Scarface, because I get the, to
0: see him out of control. Uh,
1: well, I, I don't know. I mean, it was just, but but you know, like like we'll rent like a theater and they invite all their friends there's, there's and stuff like that. Yeah, and he'll and come it, and, and it, watch it, with them. Well, that's the whole point.
0: Well, I mean, is it? I didn't know, but that's the great thing. He'll come and he'll be like, I don't want to be, you know, put to this.
1: Well, it's a, you know, the the point is to 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 like bring that. your whole family into what it is that you love. You know, and And you
0: guys get along
1: now. Yeah. Now that took a while. Well, it took a while. It took until I just went, this guy is never gonna change. He's never like this is Well when you met, were you
0: in love? You were in love?
1: Oh, instantaneously.
0: Right? Yeah. And you thought, this is the way it is. And he says, yeah, I, want, I want you to be the mother of my children. Three and months in. Three months in. Awesome.
1: And then seven years later, two kids later, it was like not happening.
0: What, was that heartbreaking for you? Or was it
1: I was very much. The rug was very much. It was It was very. There was a lot of internecine shit going on. He had a. Uh, there was a parallel story. He had a business manager named Ken Starr. Not the guy who did the clean right, thing. Right. But. um after I had the kids, I became more involved and more privy to his his financial scene because I was always independent financially from the right. get go. And but then having the, I'd been on bed rest for seven months. The kids, twins. I got pregnant when I was forty. I mean, it was there was I was definitely not working. I was holding down the fort. Right. So anyway, um, the kids were like six months old and. Long story. It was covered in Vanity Fair, so I'm not going to get into it. All right, all right. I've already told Read Vanity story. Fair, but... Anyway. In a nutshell. In a nutshell. What I said when the kids were six months old, I said, your business manager's a crook. And I said, five years from now, it's going to be you and me and the kids or you and him. Because there's something screwy going on. He'd done something. And little did I know that I was igniting the fuse of a criminal and... That was in two thousand and one, and he was also a lawyer. So, Al, I had finally got by the time the kids were two, I had gotten Al to agree to uh, audit him. He was going to audit him, and I was going to do uh, a one woman show at Joe's Pub the following June, not February. And I was going to fly back to LA and get the band together that I'd been doing. I did the Viper Room for years. Yeah. Midnight I've seen shows this. at the Viper Room. So I was getting the blue martini back together and I was going to use them, write material and go into Joe's pub in New York. And June, I was going to come back, use the actor's studio to kind of, I mean, I had the whole plan, but it involved going to LA with the kids. And, you know, we had kind of ramped up to this audit that was supposed to happen and Right before I was going to leave for L.A., I was in the country house, and a state manager called and said, What are you doing? I said, Oh, I'm just online, you know. And he said, Are the kids asleep? And I went, Yeah, why? Because it was like 6.30. And he said, Oh, I just wondered. And then there's a knock at the door, because there were two houses on the same. Knock at the door. And Bob, the state manager, says, I just want you to know I'm quitting tomorrow. And I went, Okay. And then the guy standing beside him said, are you Beverly D'Angelo? And I said, yeah. And he went, you've been served. So I open up this envelope and um, it's, a, uh, it's a custody filing. And it's Al, signed by the business manager because he's a lawyer. So you could find, uh, and it's a custody file, and it was odd. And it said, you know, that Al was filing in court to get a grant to be able to take the kids anywhere with him without the mother I mean, it was worded even weird. what the fuck did this come out of? i called him up and said what is this and he goes well you know we're not married so it's just you know a custody thing because if you're not married you don't whatever and i was like huh and i went well do do i need a lawyer and he went oh the court will give you one." i went the court so i'm like what the fuck is happening and so, immediately, I thought, okay, who is the most powerful person I know in New York? And it was Ron Perlman.
0: Ron Perlman, the actor?
1: No, Ron Perlman. So, Jesus,
0: the guy from uh, Road, what's it called? No, yeah, yeah, Sons right. Sons of Anarchy. Sons yeah, of yeah. Anarchy, Ron yeah, Perlman? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, I called the Sons of Anarchy. I, Ra- I called yeah. Raya Perlman. Yeah, yeah, I'm I like, called Raya Perlman. Can you no, tell yeah, DeVito? I called him up, and he gets his, he gets his lawyer on the phone, and... Uh, then it was on and and suddenly it was like, oh my God. And I, I went, that was a Saturday. I, I went in and 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 I said, Are you coming home? And he went, No, I'm gonna stay with Jim. I'm in Poughkeepsie. It was like, what? So he'd right. planned this whole thing. It was all very weird. I was really like rug out from underneath me. And and when I went in to meet this lawyer on Monday, they Al had like lawyered up, he had like seven lawyers. He had like Woody Allen's lawyer firm. So I went in and I said, This is all a mistake. He's being railroaded. This isn't his idea. It's Ken Starr. And they said, Okay, look, little girl, here's the deal. Even if he's not driving this train, he's saying yes to the people that are driving the train. So, so, you, know, so you had to get this this is to finally, happening. You, Yeah, you
0: had to get to Al and kind of sort of figure this out and like say I mean ultimately this went on and on, right? I no. I couldn't get
1: to him. And then what happened oh, was, geez. then what happened, because they closed in. And w- in hindsight, I could see that, like, when I got, because I was with him for seven years. I've, I've known him now for 23. But, you know, there's a phenomena around Al. And when I first got together with him, you know, people befriended me, perceiving me to be a conduit to him. Always, yeah. But, you know, I always had a great bullshit detector, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um... So I was like, uh, duh. but then when I had the kids, it was a different wave of stuff, and and I felt an aggression, and I felt, oh my god, these people are now worried. That there's there are two kids in his life. There's a woman who's in his life. Like, I, I, it's really hard to explain. But it was a phenomena that that turned from oh Bev, let's be nice to you because you'll put us in touch with Al. To oh, Bev, let's not be nice to you because you're a threat now. Mm. This is too much. Anyway, I, I, there are so many dynamics to figure out. You know what what leads to the end of something? But somehow, been somehow, set.
0: how did it all work out? Where you just, just eventually you said, hey, I'm going to, let's drop all this shit and let's just.
1: Um, Eventually he dropped everything. And I. So he
0: spent money, tons of money, uh years of bullshit.
1: It got deposed. And then, then he said, okay, you can go back to, because what happened was this. I I was stupefied, but I picked up, I, I found, Carrie called me and she said, you're all over Star Magazine. And for two weeks in running, there were all these plants. And we found out that his publicist had been planting this stuff about me in a tabloid. And this was like two weeks after he'd filed. It was a mess. And and it was all calculated, you know. And um, that's when I realized, oh, my God, I, I have to fight now. I, I'm going to lose these kids. Yeah, I, I have to fight. I'm going to end up in, in New York. Because basically what was being done done was, it was kind of like a gaslighting. What it was really about was let's get Beverly D'Angelo out of the quotient because her whole thing is getting rid of Ken Starr. And I remember even friends of mine saying, you've got to drop this Ken Starr stuff. He's family. You're driving everybody nuts. Just concentrate on your relationship. You're obsessed with Ken Starr. Cut to Ken Starr in 2010 was caught, admitted to, admitted to $39 million worth of wire fraud. You know, ripped off Uma Thurman, Marty, Martin Scorsese, Al. Neil Simon, Al, everybody, admitted to thirty nine million worth, which means he did much more than that. Right. But you know that that was I called it in two thousand and one. Yeah. And he. Did you ever say
0: Al? Remember when I told you? Yeah.
1: Motherfucker. I didn't say that. Okay. Well. Let's... I just said I'm not going to say I told you so, but <laughs> hey, he's in jail. Well, look,
0: long story short, you and Al now. It's okay. You have good conversations. You can call and he'll we call you. We have for
1: years. Yeah, we have for years now. I mean, it's kind
0: of worked itself out, which is well, better for the kids, better for everyone.
1: Well, I mean, you know, the kids were never exposed to any. They, they, we kind of. I mean, I guess the good thing we did is we kind of got out of each other's way before the kids had much to lose. Right, but as far I think. You know, I'm somebody who's always had this like sense of justice. Like I used to tease Carrie and say when she'd go into certain rants, and say, "Oh, someone should sing this." The you know, my eyes have seen the glory, b- battle hymn of the republic behind that, because you could do that for lots of my raps. You know, what I mean, I'm very righteous and obsessed yeah. with justice and everything like that. And I think when I when when I dropped my my whole thing about like what's right and what's wrong. And just got to the point of acceptance. Life became a lot easier. Yeah, you know,
0: life became a lot Does easier. Does Al ever better. say, "Hey, Bev, let's go grab a movie or grab a milkshake"? Do you do <laughs> like I'm not, I don't. I don't do a good impression <laughs> of Al. I've never tried.
1: Everybody always goes I, to the
0: Gruff boy. But I don't. I don't know how to. I've never done a. You know, what's fun, you, know a you know. what I know. You
1: know it. what I've noticed. I know you should have played, the, and we should have done the script that you wrote. But uh, anyway, I know.
0: Can you believe that? Yeah, Rob, you don't know this, but. Um, Chris, my one of my right and partners. I
1: tried so hard. We I had them, them come over. We pitched Bev and Chevy over.
0: a movie for a vacation sequel that they loved. We pitched it New Line because New Line was looking for something, and they ended up with the. They loved our pitch, but they ended up with uh, going with the one that came out a couple of years ago. But why did they go with those guys? Because I don't honestly. Here's what's weird. I remember they said, "Hey, we love Bev and Chevy, but we won't. We don't want the story to be a lot about them."
1: Well, I think that's where they got it wrong. It was a demographic. That was a demographic. Our whole story involved
0: the whole family again. Like doing this one. Remember, we started with a divorce or something. Yeah, yeah. It
1: was very cool. I remember that story. It was really cool. And the daughter was like messed up in a hotel, and and she wanted to have a wedding, and
0: yeah, and we I think we had Randy. Cousin Randy had to Randy bail his doing? son out of jail or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We son no, out of jail. That's right. And it was this last kind of hurrah and yeah, the passing was, the torch. We loved it, but... Well, you uh, know what?
1: Maybe you should just take a revisit to that and rejig it.
0: You know I would. I will say this. I'm going to talk about two more things, and then I'm going to let you go. We're going to take a little picture. But I like this. Have I been too serious? No, no. And look, we, look I love, here's why I love it. why I haven't love it. I love it because... Enough. No, 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 no! It's this room. It's, it's so dark. And no, serious. no. Listen indeed. to me. It's not that serious. You well, got when pictures you take of the picture, Star Wars in here. look and, at look at Alfred Hitchcock there. He looks miserable. And there's the that's wicked. witch. It's Alfred Richard Hitchcock. It's not what? Winston Churchill. Who's that? that? It's George, that Lucas. George Lucas. It's uh, Obi Wan Kenobi, oh, wow. or, or some know him as Old Ben Kenobi. There's uh, oh, what was the wow. witch's name? What was the wicked witch of the West's name in the movie? What was her real name? Marjorie Margaret Hamilton. Margaret Hamilton. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say. Look, I, I, I love this story because, and we'll look at it, but I, I love this. St- I didn't know this about you. Because all I know is the story from when I met you, which was at Carrie Fisher's house, which our Carrie. beloved Carrie Fisher, and it was the most devastating thing that happened a year ago, just over a year ago. Ruined. My, I mean. So let me ask you this. For people who didn't know Carrie, and most people know her as Princess Leia, and this and that, we got to know her. So okay, but you know how I met. I became a plot point in in
1: Postcards from the Edge.
0: That's how you guys met, because she wrote Postcards from the Edge.
1: No, we met because I was a secret. I was married, but I was secret. I was seeing Don Henley. I Ooh. went to. A, I went to a. You know who Don Henley is Rob. I Don't the Eagles' singer founder and lead singer. So here's God. My so it's 1985. I'm seeing Don Henley. I'm married. Was he a good lay? Yeah. Awesome. Into porno
0: films and so he, he was cool. He was so cool. he'd watch porno while you're having sex.
1: He was cool. Okay, so That's anyway, but any any rock star, you know what I mean? But anyway, I was married to the Duke, but I was in town and uh, kind of doing this thing. But I get this phone call from him. This is a story worth telling. I'll make it best. It's what made us best friends for until the day she died. Um, so I get this phone call, and it's about four o'clock in the afternoon, and it's dawn. And he said, what are you doing? Meet me down at the Sunset no, Grill? I said, I, no, I said, yeah, Dan. It's a, I said, N- uh, nothing. He said, do you have anything to eat? And I said, yeah. And he goes, well, you know, I want to come over for dinner. I said, okay, fine. He goes, I'm at this event. He goes, I'm at this, like, event, and it's a drag, and it's a dinner break now, so I'll come over. And I went, okay, fine. So he comes over, eats, we have sex, and he says, "You know, okay, I got to go back to this thing, but you know, come." He lived up on Mahal, and I was on Outpost. He said, "You know, but come spend the night at my house tonight. I'll call you when I get home." I went, "Okay, great." He goes off. It's now like midnight, and he hasn't called me. And I thought, "Well, that's weird." So I called his house, and he answers the phone like this. Hello? I went, "Dawn?" Yeah, I'm asleep. And I went, "Oh, okay." And I hung up the phone and I thought, okay, I have to make a move. So I decided I would disappear. He said, I'll call you tomorrow, right? So I thought, okay, well, when he calls me tomorrow, I'm, I'm not going to be here. I'm like so not going to be here. I'm going to go out of town. So I decided to go to... Mur- the of Hot Springs. Because in the early 80s, there was a whole thing where people would like go to these health spas for weekends. This is before rehab. Right. And you'd go and you'd detox and get healthy. And,
0: you know. So you went there.
1: So I go to the Murrieta Hot Springs. There were no phones in the room. There was a payphone in the lobby. And everybody was lined up at the phone. John Peters, Carrie Fisher, all these people were lined up to use the phone. I'm behind Carrie. She turns around. I'd met her once at Sue Menger's house earlier few years earlier. Hi, how are you? What are you doing here? I said, ah, Long story. What are you doing here? She says, Long story. I come down to my room. I go down to her room. She's there with this guy named Paul Slansky. Her room is full of legal pads. And she'd just gotten a deal to write a book. Um, Mommy Dearest had come out, and she was going to write a book called Money Dearest about her childhood growing up with this, the daughter of Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher. And Paul Slansky was her editor, and they were working on the thing. So I knew what she was doing. She said, What are you doing here? And I said, Oh, well, but you know, I'm, I'm a bonder. I said, I've been seeing this guy and, uh, you know, I'm married, he's involved, but anyway. Oh,
0: you're married. Oh, I was married for years. So you're you're married while you're having an affair with him.
1: I was married for 15 years while I had affairs with everybody. Oh, awesome. So did my husband. Didn't know that? The Duke. The Duke. Right. And I still love that man lorenzo i'd go back to him in a minute but what happened was i said so so here's the deal uh yesterday he called me up and just like had to see me he comes over then he because he says he's at this horrible event but then he has to go back to this event and then i you know then I, he said he was going to call me and he didn't i called him he said he'd call me today so i knew i had to get out of town well, what'd so that's what she said that's when she go, oh well w- w- what event was yet and i went huh Like, that's not. Come on. She doesn't. That's not a question. It's not a
0: coincidence, is it? That's
1: not a question. She goes, Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. She goes, Who is this guy? I said, I can't tell you. And so we start playing this guessing game. She had been at the event with Don Henley she was at his house when i called they were eating hamburgers
0: she so said. she had sex with him too
1: she was she was fucking him too so we made this blood don henley yeah so we made this 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 bond and we decided that whoever he called first after our weekend away would bust him monday comes he calls me he comes over we're in bed it's done and i said you know i met somebody really interesting my new best friend this weekend. He went, Who'd you meet? And I said, I met Carrie Fisher. And he went,
0: Oh. And I said, You're so busted. So I busted him. I love how you fuck him first and then tell he's busted. Yeah. Girl, most women would say, You're a piece of shit. You're not fucking me. Well,
1: that's not my style. So anyway. <laughs> I wasn't out to torture anybody. Right, right, right. But yeah, I just wanted to bust him. And it was because my friendship with her was better than anything that was ever going to happen with him. Yeah, So she never really busted him. She did manage to keep that friendship. But we became best friends. And it worked its way into Postcards from the Edge, where uh, in the story... It goes into much more detail than it does in the film. But she finds out that Annette Benning was the – she wanted me to audition for the role that was based on me. And I hated what she – I didn't like it. She wrote like a B actress, you know, nymphomaniac. And I thought, that's not me. But, you know, I guess maybe. But anyway, um, best friends for life. So the thing is I would go over to see Carrie and just stay there. And we traveled all over the We 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 were never out of touch, but we had a lot of serious hang time. And one thing I did learn how to do, starting out early as like a flower child floating around all over the place and a musician was hanging, which is what I love. You just yeah. like make it up as you go along. And if there's music in it. So inevitably whenever we'd get together and it was something that Griffin Dunn actually said in uh in that Bright Lights documentary about her, I, I, I really yeah. Picked up on that when he said that when they were roommates in New York that they just sang all day long. I'm going into the kitchen. Y- that's exactly know. how
0: she would sound. That's, you th- sounded th- like th- way. That's
1: right. So anyway, so that was a big part of our life. So the other day, I don't know how I found this, but I was yeah, looking at up. my phone and um, I found a, a video that 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 in, in a nutshell was really what our relationship was. Our relationship was agenda agenda list. When you think about two women who were actresses and, and Agenda-less. You know, agenda-less. Like and yes. that we just hung out together. And I really do think that one of the ingredients of our friendship was that what we wanted from each other was friendship. That's it. It wasn't like oh this person. Cause Carrie would have, because Carrie it's... would have friends that you know were as a result of work or professional. And they'd be there. Thing, and they'd be there for a while and yeah. then they'd be gone when that mission was accomplished right. but you know i was uh, we always had that yeah. thing anyway so i found this this video that we made she had just gotten her dog gary so
0: i'm gonna play the audio because yeah video and and, is and,
1: video. and and for some reason she just started singing to, to gary. she wanted me to film gary we were so we were making the, we were taking pictures of gary and and she started singing come back to me well let's hear it okay
0: so this is uh, on yeah. your iphone we're listening to this now yeah. it's beverly angelo a late, beautiful Carrie Fisher singing to Carrie's dog, Gary. Yeah. With a ma- song made up on the spot. Here's
1: Carrie. Gary, Carrie Gary, Gary over here. Gary, you see. Gary, oh, Gary, oh, Gary. Come back to me. Gary, you see. Gary, oh, Gary, oh, Gary. Oh, Gary, oh, Gary. Gary, oh, Gary, oh, Gary. Come back to me.
0: that just honestly so made that it, I put a tear just, in my eye that put
1: no but i mean that that's like that's it in a nutshell and then i don't and then after that we did it again and again and again
0: you know people always say you know what was she like i was like to each person she was different she had her own relationships with everybody yeah you know for me it was like i was kind of a lost soul and she goes stay in my bungalow for a couple I months know. get your shit together and Sarah Paulson was getting her shit together. We're both kind of she fucked up. She always had that going just, on.
1: She always helped. She was people, always helpful. Yeah. And also just the way that she were like she would meet somebody. She had like her supporting team. And if you recall, it's like she'd bring somebody new in and then she'd get her gang together and have the party to bring the next person in. I think she loved it. You, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, It'd be like you know, got to come over for dinner. You got to come, and there'd be like then Frank Gary would be there. Then he, then he'd get relegated to a regular. And then Buck like Henry, general, you know? yeah. Well, well Buck, Buck, was years, yeah, yeah. Buck was always yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um yeah, going to the house, yeah. going to Carrie Fisher's oh, house was just house. and what's great is, and I said this to you, and I was like, you know, it's nice that you're because you're having these gatherings and things, and you're like, no, no, this is I'm not doing that because of that. You just have the gatherings because she had this thing. Well,
1: kept... no, what happened was that that there that I was absolutely devastated. Oh, and yeah. immediately Gavin DeBecker, Bruce Wagner, Charlie Wessler, and Griffin Dunn and I Of necessity, had a group email going. And it came out of like communicating around her when she was in the hospital and the dead, bringing everybody together, you know. And then it continued as kind of like a a repository for the grief. And I would just write to that. Yeah. yeah. Every single day for months and months, but really went down very low to the point where I was like on my knees by last October. And I just said, God, I can't, this one, I can't get over. I do not have this in me. I I, feel like a lot of people thought that way. I I cannot bounce back. And yet it happened. So by December, I thought, you know what? I I, want to celebrate that, that I'm back on my feet. And it, and it, it was really about bringing together all those people that that I that I knew through Carrie, who loved Carrie and who missed Carrie. And Dave, then, and then there were Dave people that and, couldn't come. Yeah, yeah, And so then there was another one. But um, yeah, Buck Henry was there. Ed Bigley was
0: there. Uh, yeah. Dave was there.
1: And the thing is, you know, these are all people that it's strange because. My so many friends. I I was, we really don't know how much we relied on Carrie, yeah. for our social lives. We were lazy socially. So when I said, you know, I, I don't. I'm not doing this because of that. It's more that I realized that I had been so dependent on her socially that I really needed to stand up a little bit. Sure. Because there were so many friendships that I had just because like oh I'll see him at Carrie's. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't have to work on my own. But for me, I I felt like
0: it was sort of like a place to go to when you weren't, uh, you know, you weren't feeling great mentally. You weren't, you were a little lost. You're little. You always felt like it was kind of home. I told her something once, and she said, "Fuck off." I said, "Carrie, you remind me of my grandmother." And she goes, "Fuck off." I go, "No, wait, before you finish, not because you're old. She's a lot. My like. She walked like a grandmother. Well, she did with her slippers. But my grandmother used to always have an open." open house to anybody who wanted to come in yeah. and just that it's really when you
1: think about it you know i mean debbie and eddie that that the, the legend of debbie and eddie was such a profound effect on her life she was carrie was the patron saint of 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 abandoned and lost people yeah. and had been you know, part of the mythology of her family was that her mother, this great woman, had been abandoned, and she had to. She had. She had and also still been abandoned. Kept such a
0: great, re- and still stayed close with her mother and father, and still took care of her mother, and still like she was always. Oh that no, ma- she
1: was. We won't see the likes of her. No,
0: uh, this has been a, a, an incredible interview. Uh, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you, Beverly D'Angelo. Okay. This has been a real treat. I wait love a minute, hanging wait. with you.
1: The, can we play out?
0: Yes, play out. This is. Uh, Let's do the play out. Do you have it ready? Yes, I do. Okay.
1: Gary, you see, Gary, oh, Gary, oh, Gary, come back to me. Gary, you see, Gary, oh, Gary, oh, Gary, come back to me. Gary, you see, Gary, oh, Gary, oh, Gary, come back to me. Gary, you see, Gary, oh, Gary, oh, Gary, oh,
0: Gary you can hear him licking this has been a real treat thanks bev bye